run out there. Okay. So, I think let's just start our show. Let's yeah, those, really those two okay. listeners are getting upset yeah, with us now. <laughs> this is going to be one heck of a podcast. Pardon my French, guys. But, uh, la, 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 la. Oh, there, I hear a little bit now. So, there we go. Okay. So, uh, great way. Great way to start uh, 2017. Yes, the season. Right. We're back for one big week. We have a, a whole big show tonight, and then we're back February 22nd. We're going to have a great wow. guest who's going to call in any moment. I'm your professor, David Kirkfield, along with Dr. Esteban. Your professor, Marconi. Yes, you're... That's what I'm going to be known this semester. You're going to be... You're, you've demoted yourself to a lowly professor. professor Marconi. Right, because I'm technically... I'm, what, I'm an assistant professor. That's right. That's right. So uh, I'm not even a You're full not a professor. full... I'm, I'm real. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a full yeah, anything. Nothing. I don't even know yeah. why you got the mic. <laughs> I really don't serve this job or Incidentally, anything. Incidentally, how was your break? Uh, my uh, winter break was fine. Very good. Yes. Radio. Were you busy? Yes. Good. We have a lot going on here. I know. Like what? Well, we have all sorts of shows going on. We have a uh, collage event coming up here March 3rd. We the have 80s night. Big 80s night with uh, Mark Goodman. What? He's on. Should I patch him through now? Yeah. Then, uh, we, have a, we have a guest who's calling in who's not going to say a word uh, for the next uh, hour. Zev, are you there? I sure am. All right. You're all right, not. You are, you are to say nothing. Until you are called upon. Do you understand? Yes, sir. Don't snap at me. So, anyway, uh, that's our, our guest, Zev Feldman. He is going to be on in just a few moments. Zev, we had some technical issues. That's why we're a little verklempt here. But, uh, okay. <clears throat> yeah, so we started the show uh, with Don't Let Love Down by Rob Fusari. Mm -hmm. And that is a song that he actually wrote with uh, a pre-Lady Gaga, Stephanie Germanata, or whatever her original, her actual last name is. Right. She is going to be on the Super Bowl. Wow, is she playing? She's Yeah, she's the halftime show. Oh, I thought she was going to be. Uh, she's, she's quarterback that's for the right. uh, Atlanta Falcons. No, that's a... But so I so I saw right. Rob Fusari yesterday because yes. he's he's the music director Matt for the Sadie right. show that we're doing. Our friend Rob, Rob is signed to BMI, mm -hmm. and I and I said Rob, you're you're going to get a nice little paycheck coming up soon because if uh, Lady Gaga does Paparazzi with which he co-wrote with her mm -hmm. in front of a billion people all around the world, that's a pretty nice performance uh, performance Absolutely. check he's going to get there. Absolutely. And he also said he just uh, got. There's a sync deal for paparazzi with some company. I think he had said Japan is doing a re-record of it. But mm -hmm. he, he got a nice little piece of money for uh, the licensing of that for a TV commercial. Right. It's the beauty of the copyright. Yes. So if you can write songs as well as be the performer, twice as much money. No. Well, that's not. That's not you would twice. think, but that is exactly not no. the uh, math. But uh, two ways to make money from that. So right. we want to thank uh, Rob. You sorry for giving us that song. Rob is also a big help to us because he's one of our benefactors for a big event, a big trip we're taking in May to to Nashville, Tennessee. Correct. Because music, music biz is going to music biz in the music in the music city May fifteenth to the eighteenth, and we're gonna have. Uh, last year we had twenty students go with us. Yes. And this. <laughs> <laughs> and they produced all the shows you heard last summer. All summer, June, July, August. Right, with all different, um, from all different walks of the music business. And it was really quite a, um, it was quite a feat that they mm -hmm. did, actually, because we did about um, 15 shows, 20 shows. No, it was shows. like 20, tw no, yeah. 26, it was some like big number of shows. Great. 
Yeah. So you didn't have reruns. You had new shows. Yes. In the summer while we were tanning. Yes, while right. we were in our tanning bed. But it was a double bed, so I, we never <laughs> That's touched. Okay. And then um, we want to thank the folks at Van Dyne Bruno, Inc., um, with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Sharon Joe's The Dap Kings, or now it's just The Dap Kings. I keep doing that. That's very mm. sad. And KISS is only one place to go for your band's business management. VB-CPA.com when you're ready. Aaron Van Dyne, again, is another benefactor of our trip to Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So that's very nice. And we also want to give thanks to Christine Vey, a wealth manager and president of Vey Wealth Management. You know, Dr. Esteban, Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson. She helped me, too. She's totally helped you. Yes. You know, when Dr. Marconi, you have a giant man No, you can't see it. No, not at all. Because it's so big. Um, She manages, Zev, please don't laugh. Please do nothing. Please do not make a sound. You are a guest. You are not the host. Is that understood? Understood, sir. Okay, thank you. Uh, So anyway, if you actually worked with him before I did. (laughs) I I can't believe it. That's right. Zev and I go back to the 1990s. Mm -hmm. A long time ago when when Donald Trump was just a real estate developer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if you're looking for guidance on how to plan for your retirement, you have questions on anything from investment portfolio management, insurance, retirement plan, you got to call Christine Vey, 732. Zev, repeat after me, 732. 732. 455. 455. 1510. That was very that was very good. And you can email her Christine at Vay V A Y Wealth dot com. Oy vey. Those are all of our thanks. So we mentioned our eighty show and we mentioned everything. I should also mention one final thing, two final things. A classic rock night three to benefit the local Wayne Rotary. I am playing drums and emceeing a big classic rock night. All this money. So every if you money. Haven't had enough of him right. this Saturday night, you can get more. Right. Okay. A lot. Are you going to go? I can't wait. <laughs> I can't. It started with I can't wait. Then he saw me tear up. Wait became the end of that. We have two new producers. Yes. We have two new producers. Exciting. We have Ashley Weltner. Give it Ashley Weltner. She's doing it. Ashley Weltner. Ashley Weltner. Yes. Ashley, Weltner. Ashley <clears throat> pull a microphone near your face, but don't let there. it touch. Okay. Uh, tell us who you are, what you do, what are you going to be when you grow up? Um, well, I'm Ashley. I usually go by Ace on the radio. Um, I do radio here at Brave New Radio. Um, I'm a popular music major, and when I grow up, I don't know, maybe I'll be successful. That's not right. the answer you're That's looking right. for. She's going to marry a doctor no. then. <laughs> Got to be positive. I know. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to be. You're going to n- take it. You're going to take right. the, you're, She's our next president. So that's cool. So that's Ashley. You're a freshman, and she has three shows. She produces ours, wow, and she has two great. other shows that she yes, does. Do. Great. So uh, she owns Brave New Radio. And then sitting to our left, her right, our listeners front and center, is Fast Jimmy C., Jimmy Cimento, who is going to be our other new producer. Fast Jimmy C. Fast Jimmy C, why are you here? I am uh, looking to further my experience in radio. I uh, went to school as a music major uh, in sound engineering arts, and I want to see the radio aspect of the entertainment business and uh, just learn. So Okay. So we have two sides. We have Ashley, who's a freshman. We have Jimmy, who graduated last May, May 2016 or May 2015? May 2016. May 2016, so... 
opposite sides of the spectrum, but they both want to know radio. And they know the only place to learn it is here on Music Biz 101. Could be. Yeah, that's right. Could be. So we have Zeb Feldman on the line, who I worked with a long time ago in the 1990s with Polygram Group Distribution. But Dr. Esteban Marconi, why don't you begin asking him about his bio and all the questions that you have for him? One, two, three, go. Yes. Okay. Are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, Good great. To be with you. Thanks for having me. Yes, and you are a... Uh, Actually, you're a legend around here, and also you are the rainmaker. I don't know if you know much about William Patterson University and the jazz program, but the jazz. Well, I know there's this amazing drummer by the name of Joe Farnsworth that happens to be on the faculty there. If there's any, well, he's extra new, points there. I'm a yeah. huge fan. No, he's not on the faculty, but he was a graduate, of course. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Uh, he and Billy thing. Stewart, and um, I can go on and on, oh. but. Um, what I wanted to talk to you about is uh, the uh, the jazz program here that we had was started by Thad Jones, and oh, wow. uh, went through uh, the late Mo, uh, Mo Miller mm-hmm. um, and James. Oh God, I'm drawing a blank. The pianist, and now we have. Oh, now it's Bill Bill Charlotte. Yes, Bill Charlotte is with us. And oh, uh, he's wonderful. Yeah, you guys are in great hands there for sure. And John Mosca is on the faculty, um, um, pianist and our arranger. Um, why am I drawing all these <laughs> blanks tonight? This That's why cool. I always take notes. Yes, right. Anyway, we have a number of the uh, Vanguard Orchestra on faculty. We, of course, have all of Thad's music because we have a jazz, living jazz archive. Or we have all of um, Thad's music, the original manuscript. We have um, all of Clark Terry's stuff and the original manuscripts. We have, um, well, we have a number of things. I'm just drawing. They'll come Sounds as like the an show embarrassment goes on. of riches, I think, are the words there. Would yes. you say? Yes, and we uh, and I thought that they didn't really know who you were, but I talked to Dave Dempsey today. And he said you were the man, actually, of course, that brought the original Vanguard Knights with the uh, Thad Mel Orchestra. From yeah, 1966. well, you know, it's really a, it's an honor to be associated with such a, an incredible project. I was really lucky. Uh, back when I started at Resonance Records in 2009, we mm-hmm. started working on, on this epic project. My our label owner and founder at Resonance, his name is George Claben. Right. Back in 1966, I guess he was 16, 17 years old, he recorded the opening night of the Thad Jones Mel Lewis Big Band at the Village Vanguard. Right. And then he was invited to come back four weeks later, and he made these recordings that are technically audiophile recordings before that term even existed, whereby George used... Uh, Six, ten microphones with a, a, a crown two-track recorder and an Ampex yeah. mixing board. And he sat on the side of the stage, not far from where Mel Lewis played the drums. He had his headphones on, and he mixed this music when it was going on live. But anyways, for seven years, we worked on this project. Right. We cleared the rights. We worked with the musicians' families, and we put together a 92-page book. It was released last January, mm-hmm. just in time. This is now the 54 going on the 52nd year but uh you know we had it in time for the 50th anniversary it was right. definitely a really exciting project right um and that's a great video that's uh 
on uh, Vimeo, is it? Is that the one? No. Yeah, well, the the Mayo, I think we also did a YouTube version of it, too. You know, we do these mini-documentaries on each of the albums that we put out on the Mm -hmm. label, Mm -hmm. so we always take the time to create the narrative about the project and what it is. We assemble the players, maybe it's some musicians. Right. And we, you know, collect the words of the packaging, the different writings, and Mm -hmm. we really just try to, you know, we build these experiences, I would Mm -hmm. say, uh, everything short of a time machine right. to take you back there to what it was to been like uh, at the time these recordings were made. And our label has made quite a name for ourselves doing this kind of work. Um, last year at Resonance, I believe it was about 12 albums that we put out. And me, overall, had a, I had the pleasure of doing 26 albums as a producer last year for the Resonance Records label, also for another company called Elemental Music, right. uh, uh, which is based out of Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did some releases with them, for instance, of Red Garland, Art Pepper, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy Jufri, and mm-hmm. most recently Xanadu Records, where we reissued the catalog. Great. And I also work for another company called Sunset Boulevard Records, too. So I, I have a, a, I'm, I'm very lucky. I work uh, for several different companies right now, but at the, at the Resonance label, I'm the VP and general manager and basically a label director of sorts there. Uh, but we've got a very small staff and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm constantly on the hunt looking for projects for us to put out. I work with the owner of the company, George Claben, and determining what we're going to put out. And, you know, soup to nuts, we oversee and right. put out these productions with oftentimes thick booklets. And yeah. that means, you know, doing promotion and publicity and clearances mm-hmm. and uh, you know, stuff that used to exist for really large staffs, we do now with a, a, a smaller group of people. Literally, there are about six of us at the label in production and day-to-day shipping, everything. And uh, I'm just really fortunate. We have an incredible team uh, that makes all that possible. So, well, uh, yeah. you hit close to home because uh, I think for this going to be, well, last year I think was the third year that we had the Heath Brothers here for Jazz Week. And, wow. of course, we've had Freddie Hubbard. We've had Claudia Rodito. Uh, wow. It was just like a who's who when I was looking at the Xanadu re-releases, uh, you know, that, that I was looking at today. And yeah. so many of the guys are either walking the halls or have walked the halls here. And, uh, you know, it's very close to our hearts, everyone here. And you're doing just a, a great job. But if I might ask you a, I guess, a, techn- uh, a question about the business today with... Uh, streaming now being it, and I still see a lot of our jazz majors, not our pop majors or our music business majors, but our jazz majors are still looking to make CDs and sell them by the side of the stage, but the the business is in streaming. So how... It's in streaming to some people. For jazz, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not a very popular guy there, Doc, and I want to tell you something. I'm not so sure I'm subscribing to streaming. Uh-huh. No, I, I think the jury is really out. And, you know, in some ways, and I noticed that right now, Resonance Records, ECM, Sunnyside, mm-hmm. Pi Records, there are several jazz labels that I can mention. And I think I speak for a lot of us. I don't want to speak for anybody except for myself here. Right. But I'll say that I think that for, you know what? For pop music, for a Justin Bieber record where you have that, I love that word, critical mass 
mm-hmm. where you have such a mass audience of people that streaming it might, you know, with enough amount of people, it can really equate to perhaps some increased revenue. But when you talk right. about jazz and the kind of records that we're putting out, I think that a lot of our fans already know whether before they even hear it or not if it's going to be something for them. And I think especially now in this day and age where even in promotion we're sharing tracks where, you know, but but you know what, I, I'm not so convinced about streaming. I'll tell you, I use it not to sound like a hypocrite. Right, right. I like to work out. I go to the gym. I go on my run. Mm-hmm. I pull up my records that I'm listening to. And you know what, some things are great, but... At this time, I'm really not so sure about how I feel about that. I know at Resonance, we have very strong convictions about that. And we, 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 you know, it's a very hard time, especially now. I read a report a couple weeks ago with the changing tide and even LPs in this marketplace are exceeding digital downloads. Yes. There's a lot of information coming to the surface right now. Um, and I think the one thing is true, though that consumers and the way that they absorb content is in a lot of different ways. And it happens all the time. We're not even aware of it. We're not even conscious right, of, course. of it sometimes. The, uh, the only uh, thing I was bringing up is if, uh, if you're not buying a CD online mm-hmm. and you don't go to Target or Walmart, mm-hmm. where are you getting the CDs? Unfortunately, well, I, all the I, great stores that we used to browse are right. gone. You know, Best Buy, you know, listen, you know, let's be honest about chains and without getting too, you know, descriptive of certain partners, but, you know, you got to look at the landscape. I'd say buy music where you always buy music. You know, a lot of people these days in your town, you may be fortunate here in Los Angeles. I've got Amoeba. I've got Freak Beat. Mm-hmm. I've got some great shops that I go to. And you know what? For my mom and dad, maybe where they live, maybe they want to use Amazon. But you know, we make the music available. You can find it in this day and age. Mail order. It is what it is, but mm-hmm. it's become a way to get it. Mm-hmm. If you want to have things digitally, you know what I do? I always make, you know, we. I was just getting back to again telling you about how we do these booklets. Thad Jones and Mel Lewis, that All My Yesterdays album that came out uh, January 2016, has a 92-page book. But you know what? If people bought the album at iTunes, I give them a PDF of the whole document. Uh-huh, great. We don't exclude people from the from the experience, from the party, you know? Right. Um, right, right. Well, that's great. Um, I was wanted also to get back to uh, the... Um, I saw you had some Blue Note reissues. Now, is that because of the... Um, just the, the whole EMI record companies were merged and so on that you were able to get that uh, well, stuff? Well, what you're referring to, if I'm correct here, is the Elemental Music label, yeah, exactly. which we do a variety of different releases. Uh, our label has done what we call TPM, third-party manufacturing mm. licensing deals with the majors. Sometimes, a lot of times these days, the major record companies will license out to respected and known partners who are doing this work consistently. If you're lucky enough, as as I have been, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will license to you. So, but my partners in Europe at the Elemental label, we actually are incorporated here in the United States. Um, but we also do business overseas, and I believe those Blue Note records were 
were licensed from Universal EMI in Europe. But uh, you can find all that stuff. There's an Elemental Music website, which right. lists a lot of this product that we have for sale. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I mean, jumping all over the place here. No, Let that's me, great. Uh, no, that's great. And that's, happy to explain anything else. I must say, it's stuff that I grew up with, too, uh, looking back at those, you know, those albums. Uh -huh. I, I was a jazz maniac as well. I'm a trumpet player. All right. Uh, so... It just brought back so many different um, memories, you know, and and I and that's really what you want to happen through mm -hmm. that label. Mm -hmm. um, so it's basically, tell me about finding stuff that's never been released. I mean, that's sort of been a, uh, I guess, a, a thing of yours to go out and do that, which is great. Well, I, um, I do content acquisition, or I do A&R, Artists and Repertoire, or Catalog Development. There are a few different names for it. Mm -hmm. But I started working at Resonance in 2009, and label owner George Claiborne said to me one day, he said, so let me ask you this, just so I understand. I said, yeah. He said, so you've never produced records before, but you collect records, and you know about different artists. And I was like, yeah. He said, well, you're going to work for me producing records. And I'll tell you what he said. He said, if you can bring tapes or a project into our company, and I'm into the music, you can produce the record. And man, can I tell wow. you, that was all I needed to hear. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's you know, great. I mean, that was really what started everything for me. And I would be making phone calls to artists, families who had never even met me before, yeah. colleagues of mine in the business. Do you know any recordings here or there? And um, in 2011, I got a phone call, 2010, from Michael Cascuna mm -hmm. at. at um, at Mosaic Records, and he had these West Montgomery recordings that he wanted George Claiborne and I to hear. And we listened to these tapes, and they were of West Montgomery recorded in the mid-50s. It was really like the Holy Grail. Wow. These were recordings that had never been issued before, wow. but we didn't know anything about them, didn't know where they were recorded. So we did a deal for these tapes. I worked with the families that were involved. Mm -hmm. uh, we tracked down the living members. We did interviews, and we were able to piece together Thanks to uh, Dr. David, the late great Dr. David Baker of Indiana yeah, State University yeah. of Bloomington, who knew a lot of these musicians, and he gave me clear methodologies behind why the certain folks on certain tracks were what they were. Anyways, we pieced together this incredible mystery, and the result was a best-selling album called Echoes of Indiana Avenue. It arguably put us on the map in 2012. Mm -hmm. The album went on to sell 30,000 copies, which wow. in this day is a pretty sizable yes. feat. And we had the first West Montgomery full album of unissued music since Incredible. 1968. And that was something that we really held on to really tight. And we, we, we stuck with promotion and marketing. And, you know, before we knew it, we were really lucky. I remember Weekend Edition, Tom Cole at NPR did a feature on it that was incredible. Mm -hmm. It's like a 10-minute story about it. And it was there was some, a story in the Wall Street Journal and some very nice things that happened. And we really started developing a footing for, for an interest and a knack of wanting to do, put out these kind of material, these kind of music. Mm -hmm. So... When I first, the other part of this became another album that we put out that same year, which also sold a great amount of copies. And that was an album from the great jazz pianist Bill Evans mm -hmm. called Live at Art DeLugoff's Top of the Gate. 
And that was a very special project that I had to really learn about. You know, I I learned a lot about rights holders and, you know, how you deal with certain clearances. Mm -hmm. In the case of Bill Evans, he was an exclusive recording artist when his recording was made to Universal, to Verve Records back in in, in 68. But we put out these tapes that our label owner had of Bill Evans in concert. We did all the right clearances. We did a beautiful package, and George let me put it together. And that also did about 30,000. Wow. And these were two of the biggest jazz albums that year. And it really kind of set us on that course for wanting mm-hmm. to pursue these kind of projects. And it was really exciting for us. Right. What was the most exciting project you've done? Um, I think the Bill Evans records uh-huh. uh, and, and Wes Montgomery. Well, I will say the most exciting album in terms of the uh, natural awareness, exposure, publicity, uh, two projects. We were very lucky to do a special project with Impulse Records and Universal Music Group called John Coltrane's Offering. Uh, and this album came out and won a Grammy back in 2014. Yeah. And um, I was one of three producers, uh, four producers on that project. Mm-hmm. And that came out with a special partnership with Universal Music Group where they entrusted us um, to put that out, and we did, and it did well. And this previous past April of 2016, I found a never-before-issued studio recording of Bill Evans recorded in Germany in 1968. I um, I do a lot of traveling abroad, and this was a tape that I discovered in my travels in speaking with a family for uh, a famous record label uh, that was called MPS. Mm-hmm. And I met the family members a few years ago, and I found out about the session. And first I did a deal with the family that had the tapes. Then I did a deal with the Bill Evans family, then with Eddie Gomez and Jack DeJanet, and mm-hmm. then with Universal Music Group. And we were able to release this last year. And it was the largest, fastest-selling album in Resonance's history. We've already surpassed... About 42,000 copies sold since last April. That's great. And it's just, uh, it's also revitalized uh, Bill Evans' career, which has been very exciting to mm-hmm. be able to work with an estate, whether it's Bill Evans or Wes Montgomery or John Coltrane. And, you know, we, we have very important roles that we do in putting this music out, being ambassadors, being respectful rights holders. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I underscore that because... In these times, what's happening these days, there are a lot of companies that are really disregarding intellectual property rights for artists. You see stuff all the time that comes out mm-hmm. that is not properly cleared, mm-hmm. and it has really just left a black eye in the business and also really set expectations with even fans, and you read about some of this stuff. Anyways, I'm kind of going right. off on a tangent. Right. How are we doing so far? We're doing very well. Now, tell me yeah, about... Yeah, Dave uh, Gilt, did he fall? Is he still there? No, he left. I, I, I had to go. Right. Oh, okay. So, yeah. um, <laughs> tell me about what Sandy did to uh, the library. Hmm? What uh, the hurricane, Sandy, what did it do to your oh, library? Well, you're, I, you're referring to the uh, Xanadu Records, yeah. uh, Xanadu Master Edition series. Yes. Well, for, I'll tell you a little bit of the story. So I work for this company called Elemental Music. It was a record label that was co-founded with me and another colleague of mine. His name was Jordi Soleil. Right. Uh, and uh, and he owns a distribution company in Europe called Distri Jazz. 
and he was taken with some of the productions that I had been putting out on the Resonance label, and he offered me a chance to produce some albums for them, which we did, which I did. And um, um, anyways, we had started talking several years ago about trying to find out-of-print record labels where its music hadn't been reissued in some time. And I remember we were having this conversation about our jazz heroes and different producers, and I started talking about Don Schlitten. Don Schlitten is one of the architects of jazz music. He's a guy that worked for Signal Records, Prestige Records. Uh, you know, he's a record producer, photographer, album cover designer, and he's really a visionary with music. And, you know, he's also taken by film. If you look at any of the records he puts out, instead of normally saying produced by, it says directed, produced and directed by. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Don, I knew Don. And um, we were having these meetings in, in Europe, and we were trying to come up with labels, and it occurred to us that the Xanadu label had been long out of print, you know, and in fact to the point where we weren't even sure who the rights holders were. It turned out to be Sony Music Group uh, via The Orchard. It's actually The Orchard. The Orchard is owned by Sony. Mm-hmm. And uh, in any ways, uh, long story made short, I negotiated a deal between The Orchard and Elemental to re-release 25 titles from this out-of-print catalog. And what happened was, unfortunately, uh, back in 2012, when Hurricane Sandy hit, it flooded the tape facility, where the storage facility where a lot of the tapes were stored, for Xanadu. And... We had to hire a company out of Pittsburgh called the Media Preserve, and we had to ship off a lot of the tapes to be cleaned and restored. Mm-hmm. And in a couple of instances, unfortunately, uh, the master tapes were destroyed. They were what they call pancake themselves, where they come unraveled in the water. Mm-hmm. And it was a challenging situation, and we had to find, in some cases, some different sources. And we were able to rescue about 25 of the titles. Now, there are other ones that are obviously there still. I couldn't comment on them. I'm not sure what the plans were or who owns them currently even. But it was really a rewarding and exciting project to be involved with. Um, It took quite a number. It took us, I believe, about two or three years between the time of the deals being done, tapes being cleaned, uh, restoring, and it was a process, but it was really one of the most exciting experiences in my career, and um, we actually had a bit of press and coverage, and a lot of folks got to read about it. We did a little video that's online, if you write Xanadu Records, yeah, that Feldman, it'll bring up a video on YouTube you can watch. I saw it today. Um, but it was really exciting, and... Um, You know, Don Schlitten is one of my heroes in the music, you know, a guy I admire, so it also had some very personal meaning to me working Mm -hmm. on the project. Mm -hmm. Marconi, when you watch that video, Zev Feldman, Xanadu, um, you know, being that there's flooding, there's water and all that, you know, is there any point where there's like a, a great shot of him in a bathing suit or anything like that? No. There's no Zeb Feldman bathing suit. I I don't recall that. I I tried to cover the thong. I really didn't want people to see that, Dave. Scuba diving uh, equipment, I did see him. Because we haven't gotten into his modeling career yet, Uh, you know, uh, so I think... uh, Right. Maybe that's for the next show. We'll talk about that because uh, Zeph has done quite. You're gonna a bit. call me this back is, for another part two. Yes. Yeah. This, this is very <laughs> okay. interesting to me because yes. I'm a jazz 
I also conduct a summer big band here and so on. So all Great. this stuff is very close to me. So I could I could go on, but I think Dave has a question. Sure. Okay, when you first started working with Van Halen in 1978. <laughs> yes. I'm kidding. All right. Oh. Yeah. Now, a, a couple couple quick questions going way back to when you first started. You mentioned, and it was either the Thad Jones or the West Montgomery Project. You said it took seven years. Uh, yeah, which the, was, the Thad Jones. That was Thad Jones. Project took mm -hmm. about seven years. Talk about our, why seven years. Why does it have to take seven years? Can you explain well, that whole process succinctly? Well, there were certain rights holders involved. There were some very complicated circumstances, especially involving a couple of the musicians and family members. And sometimes the states that we deal with can be very complicated due to different family members. It takes a while sometimes to have to research and find out who are the actual rights holders, who do you have to negotiate with, and sometimes it just takes time. And at the same time, you know, nothing happens in one day. You know, everything that we're doing, sometimes it's a process, um, and it takes time to come together. Um, but in the case of that project, it was just something that just went on and on, and waiting to hear back from attorneys at one point. For I remember uh, there was a, a member that we had to deal with, a family, and it was just very complicated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it took months and months and months. And, you know, eventually things work out. You know, and um, but I'll tell you something. If we didn't have the permission of these families, we would not be putting this stuff out. Mm -hmm. You know, we're very, very cautious and very particular about about making sure and doing the right due diligence and going through the right process. There are steps that need to occur, and um, mm -hmm. what are those just steps? The lay of the land. That's what you got to do. Or what are those steps when you say there are steps? Well, in our case, first of all, we had to listen to all the different music that we had. Now, this took a lot of time. Identifying what were the most important takes that we wanted to use, mm -hmm. how did we want to present the music, uh, doing the sound restoration production-related stuff, uh, then, then having to find the family members, uh, then also having to... I mean, it took us some time to track these guys down. Mm -hmm. I found the living guys from the band. Right. I arranged interviews with all of them, which was really incredibly supportive of my boss who just allowed for this project to happen. He could have easily said, Zev, let's just do a 15-page a book and we'll have one essay. But he allowed me to go to town. So, you know, we got John Mosca to mm -hmm. write a piece. We have Jim McNeely, one of the uh, most associated members and the alum yes. of the Thad Mel Band. We had all these different voices involved talking about their experience. We had George Claben's experience right. documented. And it was about building a book. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at this company, we're very, we're not very typical. You know, as my boss, George, says to me time and time again, Zev, he says, we are curators, we are building a museum, exactly. and we're building and creating art that's going to live on past our lifetimes. And he's absolutely right. Correct, right. And, um, and Jim you know, McNeely was the name. It's incredible. But, you know, the experiences that I've been afforded to me by working at the Resonance label are just some of the greatest ever. But I've oh. just been very fortunate. And I've, I've learned an awful lot in these amazing. Uh, I started in, two, in these uh, eight years. It'll be eight years later this year that I've been at the company. It's just incredible how time flies. But we have fun. We love what we're doing. You know, our motivation is different. Our our emphasis isn't 
how many records are we going to sell in Q1 and Q2? Our emphasis is what are we working on right now for the future? Mm-hmm. And, right. and how's that going? <laughs> and what else can we be doing? And, you know, um, I've got a boss that's been really supportive, trying to find, you know, allowing, you know, allowing me to go after things, projects. Well, it seems so that the... Um, we're really excited. It's, it's been a really exciting time for us. It seems that, uh, you know, you're hitting on such great artists, too, uh, that uh, I can't say that they were under-recorded, but they are such great artists that they're always in demand by many people to hear more uh, of what they did. And and it's remarkable to, you know, to to find these things, to find the Bill Evans that were recorded in, in Europe and and the West Montgomery stuff and so on and so forth. I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it is, it is it's an American heritage and it's an American uh, just, uh, you know, an art form that we must preserve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can I, can I have a, our, our, we have a fast Jimmy C here. He's going to read a, a tweet for you. Did you see okay. the one from Angel over there? Angel. All right, Angel. Yeah. Okay, this is from at Torres 93 At MusicBiz101WP. How much unreleased jazz music is there? With a lot already available digitally, how much more music do you think is left? I get this question a lot. And you know what? I think there's a lot of music out there. And I'm, we're constantly making revelations every day. I mean, by artists that you would just be blown away. I'm telling you, I'm working right now. This isn't for the Resonance label. This is going to be for a label called Sam Records and Saga Jazz out of Paris. There's a partnership, and I was invited three years ago to be a, a co-producer on a very special project. We're going to be releasing for Record Store Day this April 22nd mm-hmm. a never-before-issued studio album from Thelonious Monk from 1959. The soundtrack to the Roger Vadim film from 1960, Wes Liaison's Dangerous. Uh And this is the only soundtrack he did. And the tapes came out recently. They just surfaced. Now let me tell you something. If we're able to find studio albums from Thelonious Monk from 1959, I'm telling you, there is great hope for us all. (laughs) Yeah. And I will tell you something, too, if anyone's listening now, later, in the future, whenever, hey, listen, reach out to me on Facebook. You should friend me. Maybe you want to send me a little note at the same time so I know that you're not working, uh, you know, illegally overseas in some sweatshop. I'm just can't get a lot of spam these days. But you should reach out. I, I'm always sharing about a lot of these albums that we're putting out and these productions and I'd be happy to share and keep in touch with any of you. But I live for these productions. Every day, I leap out of bed in the morning. I don't even just casually get up. There is so much anticipation for what the day brings. It's very exciting. And we are continuing to find things. I have, you know, in I think we'll be making some pretty big announcements soon. But Resonance Records alone for Record Store Day this April 22nd, has newly issued music never before released from Jaco Pastorius, wow. from Wes Montgomery and the Winton Kelly Trio, from pianist Bill Evans, and then this project, the one I just told that's you about. And that's a little exclusive great. just for the podcast. You hear that? I got an exclusive for you, Phil, <laughs> because I can't, that's actually, that information, there's a moratorium on it. 
until March 21st. So I hope no one at Record Store Day, no one rats me out to the Record Store Day folks because I want to tell you something. Record Store Day is so important to what we are doing now. Mm -hmm. It is playing a very vital role in allowing productions to happen at the Resonance label and other places, but we're utilizing Record Store Day as a way for the fans to exclusively introduce on a vinyl issue first a recordings that will come out later on CD and digitally. Mm -hmm. And the folks at Record Store Day, when they accept one of your titles, if you're that lucky, and man, I thank my lucky stars every time I submit, and I'm very grateful for what they accept. But by them accepting these projects and putting them into that infrastructure, utilizing that system to build awareness, it has allowed us to commit to projects that we weren't sure if we would be able to do otherwise, just because we know, you know what? The revenue stream attached with the vinyl, you know, we all got to do what we call a profit and loss analysis. When we do projects, we don't just say, hey, we're going to do that. We got to run some numbers. Mm -hmm. But when I'm looking at projections, and I'm seeing money revenue coming in on one from doing vinyl and we can make that profitable, that allows us to go out and do projects. And, you know, I, I think it's really exciting that vinyl has had a, quite a bit of reinterest and a resurgence and folks are out there supporting the format and supporting these stores and you know, it's it's a hard time right now for all of us in the music business. But I think that um it's it's just, you know, there's a lot of hope too, a lot of Hey, there's we're there are fans out there that continue to be inspired by the art, and we just want to find those folks. I want to find people that love jazz or love music. It, you know, honestly, jazz is great, and I and I appreciate the advocacy and the support. But you know, so much of what we do also is about trying to get outside that bubble. You know, can can we hope to have a uh, 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 some publicity happens that takes it outside jazz because you know what I think there are a lot of people that support jazz and I don't take them for granted but I also look at the largest picture because jazz music according to Nielsen Soundscan last time I checked jazz wasn't had less than 1% of the overall population in terms of popularity but you that's know, okay I, I looked uh I think in 2015 or something was the last time I looked at that, and I was shocked right that it three. was below classical. It was like yeah. one of the last. I've tried to think uh, of it as in terms of market share genre. Uh, for every dollar spent on music, three cents is spent on jazz. Right. Yeah. And, and if it's streamed, it's point oh oh oh. Forget that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> hey, uh, it, it, and you know, Dave will tell you. I mean, like when we worked at Polygram years ago, it was those John Bon Jovi and Mellencamp records, and you too. It allowed often time for there to be a classical mm -hmm. division. Well, you know, I mean, it's a different threshold and different audience and volume. But um, I don't know. I feel like really grateful for the experiences that I have. I really wish that everybody, you know, I, I know there are a lot of folks that are listening who are music majors. And man, I think I think you just got to take advantage of looking around you and soaking in where you're in at this given moment. I remember 20 years ago not realizing how special those times were. Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful I had those experiences. And I think doing marketing and sales and having that background, being a rep, I mean, I, you know, just to kind of recap, I hung posters. 
I, I assisted sales and marketing people. Um, I was a salesman myself um, before doing some other roles in the company, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and I think that for those that are young that are listening and, you know, I, I think doing an internship like I did was probably one of the most important things that I did and not just attending and showing up, but trying to be as utilized as possible and asking questions and being involved mm-hmm. and wanting to learn how the machine operates. And I think some of those basics still exist. I don't think that, that that's gone away, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, uh, Ashley mm-hmm. is going to read another tweet for you. All right. oh, hello, Ashley. This question is from Jesse. Mm-hmm. And um, it says, can you tell us about the Getz Gil- G- Gilberto re- recording from 76? How did you find such a gem? <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. That was a really exciting project. You're referring to the Stan Getz, Joan Gilberto recording, yeah, Getz yeah. Gilberto 76, which came out last spring on the Resonance label. Um, these were newly unearthed recordings that Stan Getz recorded with Joan Gilberto at the Keystone Corner Jazz Club in San Francisco. Mm. Well, we've been working uh, on this one. We've been working with the former owner of the Keystone Corner. as a guy named Todd Barkin, and Todd has a tape had a tape collection, and over many years now, decades, different recordings have come out from his personal archives, and I got a chance to know. Uh, Todd while working at the label and he's a legend in the business and quite a character too he's a really great guy and Todd had these recordings and basically in 76 um, he had booked an interesting curated a very special week of performances of the Stan Getz Quartet with uh, pianist Joanne Barkeen, bassist Clint Houston and drummer Billy Hart with featuring special guest uh, the legendary Bossa Nova pioneer, Joan Gilberto. Mm-hmm. And when I discovered these recordings existed, they were really the crown jewel of Todd Barkin's collection. I mean, he had issued Bill Evans recordings and uh, uh, Freddie Hubbard and mm-hmm. McCoy Tyner and all these greats. Um, but this was really some of the most important music that he had. And it took us about took us about a year to get a deal done, I remember, in tracking down Joan Gilberto's representatives and doing a deal, and they were very supportive, and uh, he got a chance to work with the Getz family uh, and their attorney, Jay Shorst, George J. Shorenstein, who was really supportive of the effort, and, and you know what, again, we worked with the, right, the rights holders, and I wanted to build a very special project uh, in, in, in Stan's memory. And Joan was really happy. I mean, we were lucky, you know. We got, uh, I think for this one, we got James Gavin. Uh, we interviewed Carlos Lira. And we had just some great writings. I interviewed Billy Hart and Joanne Barkeen. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the exciting parts of my job um, is that sometimes I get to play journalist. And I do get to interview some of these artists sometimes. And that's really a big thrill for me. So I had a chance to do that. But, you know... Uh, I, I appreciate you, you bringing up that record, though. That was a really special one last year. And, um, 
you know, it came out on vinyl. I think we sold 2,000 LPs, and then we did a, a CD run. You can still pick that up. You probably find some of the vinyl out there, too, if you looked hard enough. I'm sure eBay's gone. But that was a great project. Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy is going to read another one for you. Jimmy. Hey, this one's from Nathaniel. It says, what does it take to sell an old product as new? Well... The difference with me, first of all, I wouldn't consider myself a reissue producer. On the other hand, I did do 25 of those Xanadu titles. Well, to make something old, new, I don't know if it's like a magic trick. It's really nothing like that. Um, but I think it's really about the timeless art, first of all. Is something a really great record? Would I even invest my time or effort unless it's something I'm really passionate about? I'm not sure about that. You know, in the case of the Xanadu, those had been really absent from the marketplace. And additionally, a lot of those albums had never been reissued in the first place. So it really wasn't about making it old versus new. But, you know, I like to be true to having original album cover art. I like to have the original essays, but I also like to have a new perspective from a writer or a voice. Could be a musician, even if someone that you know we like, we like. So for the Xanadu series, I got Ted Pank and Bill Milkowski and uh, a great legendary British journalist, uh, Mark Gardner, to write essays. And I think having that old and new perspective is really important. But um, you know. I guess that's kind of about it, though. I don't know if there's really a magic to it. It starts off with having great music that's absolutely timeless or needs to be released, and then you kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to get back to the streaming idea. Sure. Because you guys aren't on Spotify. Uh, if no, I'm we're not. On well, Resonance, you're, you've... What you've... we're doing is samplers. We're going to be getting into the sampler business soon. See, I'm okay with giving away maybe a cut from an album or creating a sampler that can live its existence in that world because this is the obviously the era of playlists but i don't put the straight up albums on uh on spotify at least you won't find it i i think temporarily you may find it on on another service but but anyways without getting too far into it yes continue that's correct <laughs> well, well, uh, would you be on pandora like if there was a a West Montgomery station on Pandora. Would we find any of those? Probably not. No, huh? I think they have to, though. I think technically if it's... And, and I could be wrong, because we had this last year when um, uh, when Adele's record came out, mm-hmm. and it was held... It was windowed away from... From, Spot, this, from streaming, from but it was yeah. available only as a physical product and also on iTunes. Right. Um, it... it it was available on Pandora because basically if radio could play it, Pandora could play it because it's not, uh, it's, it's what do we call it? Not it's, interactive. Uh, non-interactive right. uh, streaming. I think I'm right. thinking of Rhapsody. I think I'm, I mixed it. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I was just thinking of Pandora as a radio. Because my question for you is, by, by have you, we talked, you mentioned P&Ls before and we have about three minutes left. You talked about P&Ls, profit and loss statements. So did you actually, besides taking the emotion out of whether or not you, you're, one would be supportive of streaming. Um, did you guys actually sit down with a P&L and say, okay, if we put this full Thad Jones project or West Montgomery project on Spotify, um, we can expect, after speaking with Spotify, to get this many streams and this much revenue, and we can expect that it may or may not cannibalize uh, digital downloads or physical sales. Have you gone through that full process or... Uh, 
is is that kind of how you when you made the decision not to be there? It just it just it's a Pandora's box and creating a feeling of ownership when you don't really own it, but you own it. It's on oh, demand. Okay. It's there when you want to dial it up. Well, that's the other thing. Okay, so um, so okay, so the other thing is so when you're when you're and that's you brought up a great point right there. So we're talking about the rights that you're licensing when you put out these reissues, and sometimes you might not have the right to even offer that. Correct to offer well, on demand stream. Correct, because I didn't get yeah. digital rights when I reissued the uh-huh. Xanadu catalog okay. because only the company that owned it kept that. And right. if you work with the majors these days, doing again third-party manufacturing, it's <laughs> they don't give out digital. That's not, you know, I'm, it's yeah. a big industry secret here. But you know, that's just uh, they hold on to that. Okay, right. so that yeah, so that's where actually that that there's no manufacturing is, costs. Is, uh, or, yeah. yeah. Because we had we had Harry Wanger on. Did you did you know Harry? From I Universal? work with Harry all the time. Yeah. Okay. So we, we had Harry on a couple of years Harry. ago, and yeah. Harry does what you do, but he works for Universal, and he does a lot of let's say it's a James Brown reissue or Marvin Gaye, a lot of. He's my stuff. co-producer, one of my co-producers on the John Coltrane Offering record, by the way. Wow. Great. He's a dear friend. A great okay. guy. Yes. And um, he was mentioning there are third parties that can license the music from the major and then put it out on vinyl, for example, yep. if they want. Mm-hmm. But have the rights for vinyl only because the label doesn't particularly want to do it. might not be economic. Yep. Cool. I got two of them. I'm, I just was at a mastering session today that Elemental is doing. Okay. Sonny mm-hmm. Rollins on Impulse from Impulse Records wow. and The Temptations Masterpiece, I believe, from 1972. Elemental is going to be reissuing those on vinyl. So there you go. Case in point. Okay. Well, yeah, I, well, that's great. good. So well, I'm going to tell people um, when you listen to this as a podcast, go listen to our Harry Wanger, W-E-I-N-G-E-R interview because you're going to get a lot more um, from, uh, uh, I guess, I don't know, from an R&B side yeah. uh, of this. But we, Zev, we have to thank you very much for being on because we need to wrap it up so the next show can come Thanks on. for having me. I hope it was helpful. Yeah. So and two I things enjoyed I, being with you guys. Yeah. Two things I drew a blank with is, number one, Jim McNeely is on our faculty mm-hmm. and on that album. Right. And number two, James Williams, Williams right. was actually one of our um, directors of our jazz program. And we have, right. all, in the archive, we have all his uh, original okay. manuscripts and so on. So with that in mind, let us thank Zev Feldman. Yes. Zev, thank yes. you so much for Very being good. on here, Zev. Excellent. It was, it was great to Keep have you. doing good work. Yes. And, and occasionally do great work. How about yes. that? How about that? And all thank right, you. I'm t- I, all right. Sandwiches on me next time I'm in town. Okay. Guys. Very, right. You got it. Thanks, Zeb. Talk to you later. <laughs> Take care. See and you. then we want to thank uh, Ashley Weltner and Fast Jimmy C for being here tonight. Their first try. You guys yes. did okay. Rocky beginning, but it was good in the end, so we'll be fine. And then we want to thank Dr. Stavon Marconi. And, of course, my colleague, David K. Philp. Yes, the K is... And you won't be hearing from us until February... 22nd. Wow. Yes, we will be back. How is the basketball team doing this year? Does anyone know? I heard they are streaky. I was listening to WPSC, Brave New Radio, over the weekend. They were talking about that because there was a game on Saturday. So they're streaky. They win three or four and then they... Mm -hmm. And then they... Then they... Yes. Right. But we got to go. So, with that in mind, so thanks for Ashley. Thanks for Fast WC. Thanks coming in after us anyway? Uh, Chris... As a show. And so we're looking forward to having Chris on the air. Want to thank you for listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Visit us on the web, um, uh, musicbiz101wp.com, and find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at musicbiz101wp. For everybody here, instead of saying goodbye, we always love to say adios! And now we play the...
Something broke inside of 